0: Hey Indoor Cycle Instructor Pro members, I'm very excited to present to you our latest audio profile. Hi, and welcome to another Indoor Cycle Instructor Pro Audio Profile. I'm John McGowan, and joining me this time, somebody new, and I think you're going to enjoy him, the program director for the Indoor Cycling Group of North America in support of Livestrong Fitness, Jim Karanis. Welcome, Jim.
1: Hey, John. Good to speak with you again.
0: Now we're going to explore something that you're calling big gear training.
1: It's a training modality that I've worked with for a while. It's called many things. I like to call it training in the big gear. It's called muscle tension, and there's a number of the ways that people refer to it. There's a there's a fair amount of debate about it as to whether or not uh, it has the kind of effectiveness that I think that it has, but it's always proven to be a very effective way of training for me and always um, really seems to offer a, a very exciting class for the members. I thought it would be a good one to start with and, get, uh, and to get my feet wet with, with this audio profile format you've got.
0: Exactly. Well, I appreciate all your efforts at it. Sure. Let's get started now with big gear training. First, let's start with what you have as far as the profile description.
1: A lot of people refer to big gear training or muscle tension as uh, strength training on the bicycle. You know, there's there's a number of different camps on whether or not, um, or I should say how much strength training people that ride bicycles should actually do, whether they should lift weights or not. I happen to believe that it's the, that weight training in the off season is good for a cyclist, but I'm also a very strong believer in what some people call strength training or weightlifting on the bicycle, and that basically is to um, use very hard gears. What I typically do for some time for some portions of the season is that I will uh, change the cog on my bicycle so that I'm limited to harder gears and I can't spin my legs as much. And I will do workouts where I actually go into the foothills, not so much the mountains, but foothills where the average gradient is, you know, three to 5%. Um, but I'll do all the climbing in my big chain ring. So I'll never use my climbing gear. I'll just use my big chain ring. And so this, of course, creates uh, a lot of tension, a lot of muscular endurance. But you do it at slow cadences because you can't really pedal that fast because you're turning so much resistance. So this is. Contrary to the, uh, the spinning that is promoted and most people seem to be taking a, uh, a strong proclivity uh, towards these days. And, and to keep it straight, you don't do this all the time. You don't do this kind of training throughout the year. That when you do climb, you do want to eventually climb in the most efficient gears and you do want to be able to spin uh, at higher cadences. But you know, probably the greatest cyclists of all time did say that, and that was them referring to Eddie Merckx, uh, did say that whoever spins the biggest gear wins. So at some point, it really behooves the cyclists, I believe, to uh, limit their ability to spin and get more comfortable training in the hard gears. Uh, and that's what bigger training is all about. So what I do in the warm-up is that, what I do in every warm-up, is that I think it's important to uh, to center the rider to begin with. That is to get everybody into the experience of the class So uh, usually what I'll do before I I go directly into describing what the workout's going to be is is, is there's a process that I go through where I will do what I can to bring the the rider's attention into what we're doing, basically get them to step out of their mind. So when a, a person comes into class, their mind is typically very busy and very occupied with things, with what they have to do, what they were just doing, what they've got to do next, Part of my job, or part of my position as an instructor, is to create the experience. And the first thing I've got to do is I got to get them to step out of that. So I always do that by pointing out to them in, in a variety of different ways. And I'll, I'll do a, a brief cue for you here, just kind of show you what it means, do how I do it. But the rollout is to me the most important part of a ride. I think it's the most glorious, the most fun, and, and the most enchanting part of every bicycle ride I've ever been on. Because it's the time when you, when you, if you're aware, you make that transition. Your mind is very cluttered. Your mind is very busy. You get on the bike. You begin to roll. You see the road coming at you. The road opens up, and all of a sudden, you're at peace. And there's never a time when I ride out of my bike, when I roll out of my bike, that I don't, I don't recognize and I don't feel it. So I think it's important to um, share that type of experience um, with everyone. And if you do ride a bike outdoors, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you don't ride a bike up, I want to try to get you in touch with what it feels like because it feels that way at the beginning of a class as well, to start to roll the legs over it very easily. And I'll say something like, I want you to roll your legs, put little or no resistance on the bicycle. Now, I want you to pay attention. I don't want you to miss this part of the ride. The most precious time of every ride is the rollout. This is the time when you first spin the wheels and you feel the gentle nudge of momentum. Momentum is that invisible force that carries you down the road. We take it for granted and often let our preoccupation of our minds distract us from it, but it's actually quite magical. When you start to roll down the road and you begin to pick up speed and you're doing very, very little effort, what happens is you start to feel as if you're flying. There's a relaxation that comes over the face, comes over the body, comes over the mind, and then you start to recognize and realize how beautiful it is to ride the bicycle. Now, you can feel that right here in class right now. It's the same sensation. and It has to do with the fact that you're turning your legs in a circle, There is the continuity of the circle that enables you to feel the sense of peace while you're riding. And so all the troubles of the world begin to dissipate and you come into the ride. Now, once you start to do that, and usually we hear what I'll have, John, is there's a piece of music. And I think the piece of music that I selected, it's on my playlist, is perfect for this because it starts out very ambient. And so the riders are rolling at a kind of a personal leg speed, but then a beat starts to come into it in the middle of it. And what's great about that is it really simulates exactly what a rollout feels like. Because to begin with, it's kind of loose and you're coasting and you're, you know, you're sort of like getting loose and comfortable on the bike. But then you start to breathe with your pedaling. The pedaling begins to pick up a consistency and all of a sudden you have a rhythm. And there's a rhythm that's pounding the legs out. And all of a sudden you start to feel more part of the bicycle or at least working with the bicycle. You're not sitting on it anymore. You start to work with it. So you're no longer just a passenger, but now you're the engine. And that whole process happens literally within a few minutes. And so when I'm talking to people, even before I get them into the the nature or what we're going to be doing, I go through a process much like that to get them to feel as if now they're part of the bicycle, they're moving their legs with this beautiful rhythm, and it's consistent. The breathing now comes into play, and now you're playing with the, the breath. And then I start to work in what the training is going to be. And so I'll say something simple like, today we're going to train in the foothills, we're not going to climb in the mountains today, but we're going to climb on easier grades. However, what I'm going to do is we're going to climb in a very specific way. Okay, Because so I want to climb in a way that's going to make you strong, but it's also going to make you tough. And that's what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to restrict the gears that we climb in today. I'm going to have you climb in just your big chain ring. So if you ride a bicycle outdoors, you recognize that you have a cog of gears on the back, and you have two or three gears on the front, and that big gear. Is the one that provides the most resistance. And that big gear is typically what you use on a flat road. Okay? But what we're, today what we're going to do is we're going to use that big gear in the hills, in the foothills. And that's going to do is that's going to take the sensation of resistance up tremendously. It's going to restrict our cadence, but it's going to make us very strong. I'm going to restrict you to the saddle. I'm going to restrict you to that gear. This is going to limit our cadence, but it's also going to control our heart rate. So the bulk of today's training is going to be aerobic in nature. We're not going to feel a lot of anaerobic intensity. Our heart rate's not going to get to the point where we're really suffering uh, cardiovascularly. But we're going to really be challenging the strength in our legs. And then we go into actually the second song of the workout, which is a continuation of the warm-up. Basically what it ends up being is it's, I, I, what I've done at this point is I've broken the profile into a, you know a, um, a warm-up, which is what we just did. A body of training, which are these six songs in the middle, and then a cool down at the very end. And so, what I do is I'll start to talk to them a little bit more about the specifics of the training, so they know how it's broken up in this first song of the body, which I where I call it "Spinning One." So, what I do to them also here is I'll start to get them to uh, work more with the music. Okay, so I'll say things like, "Start to use the rhythm of music as a metronome." So what I want you to do is I want you to turn your legs over at 100 RPMs and match the 100 beats per minute that we have in the song. If you can hear the music, fantastic. If you can't hear the music, what I want you to do is I simply want you to to match my cadence. We're going to raise the heart rate gently by adding resistance. I don't want you to stabilize the heart rate at a comfortable level. So let the structure of the music help you turn a consistent cadence because this is going to become very important when we begin to work in the hills. And this is where I will break down the profile so they know what's coming. I'll say something like there are six songs in the body of today's ride. And each of these songs is about six minutes long. The odd songs are for spinning, and the even songs are for climbing. We're going to be riding, we are riding our first song right now. We need to bring the heart rate up to a good aerobic training level, and then we're going to maintain that heart rate as we move into the hills. The difficulty is going to become is when we start simulating what it's like to climb in the big gear. So we're going to drop our cadence. We're going to actually have our cadence, but I'm going to to ask you to maintain the same level of intensity that we've achieved during this warm-up. So we're going to drop the RPMs down to about 50 to 55. We're going to use the halftime rhythm in the music, and then we're going to set it to that tempo. So you must bring on enough resistance at that point when we drop the cadence tremendously, when we drop the cadence in half, to keep the heart rate where it is. Also, I need you to commit to the saddle while we're climbing, so there's no standing. You can stand during the spinning intervals to stretch and do what you need, but during the climbing intervals, if you can, I want you to remain seated the entire time. Okay? The resistance is going to make you want to stand up, but the training requires that you stay seated. After each hill, we're going to spin. We'll drop our heart rate, but we're not going to drop it all the way, so we'll limit our recovery. We'll drop our heart rate at about 20 beats, and there are three hills in today's climbing. Okay? so The training is going to challenge your muscular strength, but it's also going to improve your pedaling technique. When we take the resistance up and you drop that RPM down to 50 in the hills, there's going to be a real tendency to mash the pedals. But I'm going to constantly refer to your technique. I'm going to constantly give you cues on how I want you to smooth out your pedaling stroke. And the thing is, is you're going to find that you can do that very effectively at 50 RPMs because the cadence is so slow. You're going to be able to affect various aspects and points of your pedaling more effectively because you're not going super fast. And you're not really relying on, on you're not really experiencing a lot of momentum from the pedaling one more thing so i always tell them at this point is that big gear training big gear you know climbing with your big gear will put a different stress on your body and if you haven't done much climbing i want you to be careful of any stress you might feel in your lower back or in your knees and if anything like that does happen all that's necessary is that you simply release the resistance you're no longer feeling the stress You know, you can stand up and you can sit up whenever you really need to. I'm not going to sit there and say that, you know, don't stand up. And, you know, you can do it whenever you need to. But you're going to gain more from the workout in many ways if you have the discipline to commit yourself to the saddle. So what I usually do at that point after I've gone through that first spinning song, which is about six minutes, is I'll have everybody stand up quickly and stretch before we begin our first climb. Okay, so again, now this climb is six minutes long. You know the rate of perceived exertion on the second on the second song, that first spinning song, you want to get it up to about four or five out of ten. The, the, rest, the rate of perceived exertion on the climbing should be quite a bit harder. And again, it's going to be a little bit unusual because it's not a cardiovascular sort of intensity. It's going to be, They're going to be comfortable in terms of their heart rate and their breathing, but they're going to be overwhelmed with the, with the inability of their legs to turn the gear over. And this is where we're going to work on their technique. And we're going to hopefully get them to recruit more of their muscle mass to turn that resistance over. So we're into the first climb. The music doesn't really seem as if it changes tempo all that much because all the six songs are 100 beats per minute. I'm just using the 100 beat per minute for the spinning song and the 50 beat per minute, the, uh, the halftime for the slow song. And I'm matching the cadence to each of those beats. So I say to everybody, take the resistance up and bring the cadence down. I want you to halftime the beat of the music so you'll be at 50 to 55 RPMs, and it's going to feel very slow. I want you to look at your leg speed and compare it to mine. If you're spinning faster than me, I want you to bring up more resistance and match my cadence. If you can hear the music, great, because the music's going to function as a metronome for you. But if you're not familiar with music structure, you don't quite hear the beat, then all you got to do is look at my leg speed. And I'll bring it to your attention every now and then if you start to slow because that will happen unconsciously. As you get tired, your leg speed is going to start to drop. But for the purpose of the training, I'm going to ask that you work with me and keep your leg speed in mind the entire time. Now bring the resistance up as high as you can without the legs slowing down and without standing up. So this is going to feel very hard. And once you bring the people bring the resistance up, their body starts to move a little bit. And you say, it's okay to let your body move, but I want you to pay close attention to how you're pedaling. Keep the muscles pliable. That means keep the muscles soft and relaxed. Don't sit there and force and push hard and downstroke. I want you to relax your body and minimize the amount of side-to-side movement that you feel like using now that you've got so much resistance on the bike. In the first climb, John, is when I'll start to talk to him a little bit more about pedaling technique. I'll say things like always apply force to the pedal in the direction that is 90 degrees to the crank arm. That means at the top of the pedal stroke, 12 o'clock, you're trying to push the pedal directly forward. Okay, at 6 o'clock, you're trying to pull the pedal directly backward. The only time in the pedal stroke you're actually applying power straight down is when the pedal's at 3 o'clock. When the pedal's at 2 or 4 o'clock, there's always like a forward aspect or a pulling aspect, a pushing aspect or a pulling aspect of the pedal stroke. And then when you're at 9 o'clock, it's the only time you're pulling the pedal directly up. I'll take usually one quadrant at a time or one position at a time. But over time, what happens, especially as I give them more cues, is that you want to see their pedaling techniques smooth out so that they're not just pushing hard and letting the body go side to side. And in many cases, sometimes that's also a time that I might get off the bike for a, a time. I'll point to their leg muscles. Because when you're really doing nothing but mashing on that downstroke, what's happening is you're just completely overusing and burning out the quads. And what you want to do is you want to get other muscles to come into play. And this technique, especially if you're working on smoothing out your pedaling while you're doing it, is very effective for helping you smooth out your pedal stroke. We do that for six minutes. Their heart rate gets up to a certain level. If they're wearing a heart rate monitor or whatever. But you've got to see an exertion. What sometimes happens with people when they first start to work in a big gear and they don't have any experience with what a big gear feels like on the road is they'll underwork. They simply won't try hard enough against the gear. See, when you, when you train on a big gear and you commit yourself to the big gear on the road and you say to yourself, I'm going to climb this hill in the big gear and if I can't climb in the big gear, I'm going to get off and walk. Okay, that's how you do it on the road. And what happens is as a result of that, you end up trying really hard because so you don't want to get off your bike and walk. But you're committing yourself to the fact that I'm either going to get up this hill in the big gear or I'm going to get off and walk. Okay, now people don't, if they don't have the advantage of that experience, they're not going to do that indoors. Instead, what they're going to do, is simply going to underwork. So if they're not wearing a heart rate monitor, if you don't have any really way of, of checking what their intensity is, you got to look at their faces. They, they have to, to some degree, really be looking as if they're working. Now, again, remember that they're going to be aerobic. I mean, their leg muscles are going to be to a degree in agony, but their heart rate's not going to be that high, so they're not going to be panting. But there's got to be a look and a sense of struggle as you're trying to turn that gear over. Otherwise, they're not really working against the resistance all that well, and the workout's going to be very modest in, in its impact. Once you've gone through that first hill and you've get them spinning, you can assess. You can basically, at the end of the first hill, You know, they might just be getting the idea that you should really be able to take a look at their faces and see just how hard they were working. And then you sort of know what to cue when they're, uh, when now when they're going to spin. So when you get into the second spinning interval, you can tell them right away, hey, stand up as much as you need to during the song, but you're going to get your best recovery in the seated position. Okay, right now what you need to do is you need to spin your legs over, go back to the, the BPM of the music, spin your legs over at 100 RPMs and limit how much resistance you take off. You want to drop your heart rate 20 beats, but the fast spin itself is going to help keep the heart rate up. So you can drop the resistance quite a bit and get the legs feeling pretty good, but you don't want to cool down too much. Because it takes too much work to get the heart rate up there at that slow cadence. So if you limit the recovery, then basically they're going to be able to bring the heart rate back up again and be fairly comfortable. I am do it fairly easily without having to do too much work like they might have done in the first interval. Okay, so then you want to tell them, so that might not have challenged your cardiovascular system. But you should really have felt as if you challenged your leg strength. If you feel yourself at any time not being able to turn that big gear over, okay, what you can do during a climb is reduce the resistance a little bit so you can maintain the RPM. However, if you get to the end of that climb and you really don't feel as if you've challenged your leg strength or ability to turn that gear over, you were, you were completely positive the entire time that you could simply turn that over without a problem, the, the chances are you could have used more resistance. That's not truly what a big gear feels like. So once you've kind of gone through that, you just make sure that they also understand that this recovery interval is going to feel fairly long. It's as long as the work interval. And six minutes of spinning, especially when all they're doing is spinning there and getting ready for the next climb, it's a perfect time to tell them quite a bit more about effort and discipline and commitment and how much better they're going to feel on the second climb because now they're well warmed up. But if you, you put them through enough cues at that point, they're going to hopefully be more committed on that second climb if they were not that committed on the first climb. So then you get to the second climb. And basically, it's a repeat of the first climb. And typically, you can elevate the level of effort in the second interval, okay, because you're much warmer from from doing that first climb. So now I'm going to talk a bit more about relaxation in the upper body. Okay, so that's also an important, important part of the exercise and will help their technique. So I'll say, while you're concentrating on smooth pedal strokes, I want you to relax the upper body. I want you... Basically, to work on keeping the upper body quiet. The way that you do this, or one of the ways that you can do this, is I really want you to relax the pressure that your hands are applying to the handlebars. First of all, don't grip the handlebars. I want you to put your thumbs on top. I want you to have a neutral wrist so you're not flexing at the wrist. Your hands are just resting very comfortably on the tops of the handlebars. and I want you to keep them very lightly in touch. And Notice that when you do that, how all of a sudden the legs become the primary focus because you're able to relax the upper body. Now, what I want you to do is I actually want you to shift your hips back a little bit if you've got flexibility, and I want you to make sure that you're riding in a forward flex position, okay? What happens a lot of times when people are new to the bicycle and new to indoor cycling is they'll have the seat too far forward, and they'll sit in a very upright position. That makes them more comfortable. It doesn't put as much strain on the back, okay? But in doing so, they limit the muscle mass that they can use to apply power to the pedals, If you're sitting upright, you don't have really a lot of flexion at the hips. You are not really flex too far forward at the hips. You're using primarily your quadriceps. The hip complex and the glutes don't really start to engage much in the pedal stroke until you've got about a 90-degree flexion at the hips. So what you want to do over time is you want them to shift back. You want to move that saddle back, lengthen their spines, and get them a little bit lower in position on the bike. Not so much for aerodynamic benefits because they're riding inside, but so they can use the muscles in their hips use their glutes. So you can actually have them. And this is a pretty typical practice with a lot of cyclists is that when you start to get into a hard climb, you will actually do some micro shifts of your position on your bicycle and you move your hips back a little bit. Okay. And you actually start to drop your heels a little bit more on the downstroke. What that's going to do is that's going to enable you to start to use your glutes a lot more. Okay. And to do that, what happens when the hips go back, the body flexes forward, the glutes start to work a little bit more. And you can get people to feel that. I mean, it's, It's dramatic. A person has a lot of resistance on their bike and they're sitting upright, and then all of a sudden you get them to shift and, and, and put their body down a little bit more towards the, uh, towards the bicycle. How they all of a sudden they have so much more muscle to work with. So that ends up becoming a little bit more of the focus on the second climb, at least typically when I do this workout, because I want to always hit different things. And so we talk about keeping the upper body quiet, we talk about repositioning on the saddle. I've reminded them about pedaling smoothly, but I'm not going to go through the dynamics of the pedal stroke again. Let's work on some other aspects of their technique. And before you know it, you know, their heart rates, they are usually they're trying a lot harder. And they're through the second climb. The second climb basically is, is done. You know, when you do this kind, of, this kind of training a lot, you can make these intervals a lot longer. I find six minutes is kind of a good beginning place to put this. But you can make these intervals a lot longer, if you, especially if you have like an hour class. You can do three 10-minute intervals. That's, that's, that's a very effective way to do it if, if the class is... Relatively fit. Okay, so then we finish the second climb, and now we go to our last spinning interval. Okay, so then again, we go through the process of where I want them to really work on their recovering. Stand up, do what they never do. Only drop the heart rate twenty beats. Now I really make the point that that second climb this this really should have taken something out of you. Okay, if your legs are not feeling tired, odds are you can use, you can definitely use more resistance on these climbs. Okay, simulating the big gear in an indoor situation is difficult if you don't have the experience of not being able to get to the top of the hill without getting off and walking. It's, it's something that's very challenging and difficult to simulate unless you have that on-the-road experience. So what I'm telling you right now, if you, don't, if you haven't ridden your bike on the road as yet, what I want you to feel is that that hill took a lot out of you. Not necessarily maxed your heart rate, but your legs have got to be feeling really tired by this point. If they're they're not, there's a lot more you can do with regard to this training. Another thing I tell them at this point, too, is that if this is your first time doing big gear-related training, you have to understand that also mastering this technique takes a bit of time. As you get more comfortable with working with the big gear, you're able to do it more effectively. To begin with, it's such a shift in how you're used to climbing, because most people are trying to tell you to spin more when you climb. And I'm telling you, what I want you to do is I want you to throw into the big gear and, and take on as much resistance as you possibly can. It's a shift in mentality. If you're not feeling really what you're, under, if you understand what's going on yet, you know, just trust me, take your time, make, you know, mastering this workout takes a little bit longer sometimes. And all I want you to do is I really want you to give it, really give it a go on the last climb. And I really want you to take that heart rate up and bring on as much resistance as you can, provided that you're able to maintain the 50 RPMs and you're not going to encounter any physical discomfort in your back or in your knees. Once we do that, we now go into the third climb and I talked to them a little bit more about basic toughness because now you're into you know hopefully something that's making them feel you know they're, they're they're starting to feel pretty spent they'd love to stand up they'd love to spin more but you're not going to let them do that on this climb you know i give them the the basics to begin with this is the last climb i want you to take the resistance stop bring the cadence down have time to beat the music match my legs this is the same kind of intro i give to each of the other climbing segments i want you to focus on all the working muscles Okay, I want you to reposition your hips. I want you to move your body closer to the bicycle. I want you to feel as if you're moving your body in slow motion. Okay, if you think about moving your pedals around in slow motion, you're going to affect a smoother pedaling technique. It's not going to become so choppy. Okay, this is where you learn to become tough. Okay, it's going to be so easy to spin or stand up on this hill, but you're limiting what you're doing. You're limiting your cadence, and you're controlling your position to gain strength. You may remember this training on day when you actually have been climbing for hours. You're going to be too tired to stand up on the pedals. You're going to be in your easiest gear pedaling only 50 RPMs. And then you're going to start to recognize the fact that you can stay committed to that degree of effort for a long period of time because of the training that you're doing here today. The commitment that you're showing to your position, to the cadence of the training is going to make you tough. Okay, What's the difference between a great cyclist and a good cyclist, in my opinion, isn't really ability. It's the resilience. It's how much can you take? How much can the bicycle throw at you and you stay non-reactive? Right? All of a sudden, if you break your derailleur in the mountains and you're stuck with just your big gear, does that end the ride for you? Are you become upset? Or do you recognize, hey, you know, I can climb in my big gear because I've trained in my big gear. That's sort of what I'm talking about. And that's where toughness comes from. So toughness comes on the, from the bicycle, from putting yourself in situations that are not normal, not conducive to maximum performance. And, and, and don't get me wrong. Again, if you're, if, you know, if you're going to race or you're going to do something that's a very challenging course and it's event type, it's not a training ride, it's an actual event, then you give yourself every, every advantage you can give yourself. You change the gearing on your bike to make it easier to give yourself the best advantage in those hills. But in training, to train toughness You've got to take something away from what you normally do. You can't just go at training hard. You have to either train with too little clothing, too much clothing, not enough water, not enough food. This is not a train that you do all the time. But by depriving yourself of all the benefits that come to you on the bicycle, the way a lot of people will think about riding, it's going to increase your ability to handle any situation that occurs on the bike. And if you ride the bike enough, what you're going to realize is nothing really ever works out the way that you plan it. I think one of the greatest adages of riding a bicycle is you don't know what's what's on the road ahead. You don't know if it's it's mechanical. You don't know if it's weather. You don't know if it's some situation with a motor vehicle. You have no idea what's going to happen on the road. So by training this degree of resilience and doing this kind of an effort in the class – helps to make the student not only strong, not only fit, but tough as well. Then we recover. And so what I talk about in recovery typically is that cycling is defined by great climbs. Part of becoming confident on the bike is being able to go up mountains on your bicycle that you never thought you could. Sometimes people are always in a hurry to get to the summit. And sometimes uh, limiting your ability to get up the mountain fast shows you greater appreciation for how deep you have to go to climb certain climbs. And again, the big ear is going to make you strong and resilient at the same time.
0: That was probably the most detailed profile we've had today, Jim. So thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, hope I, I hope I didn't get too over, too over the top with it.
0: No, I think everybody's <laughs> going to enjoy this. So I appreciate uh, your contribution and I've got your playlist and I will be posting this here very shortly for all, all of our ICI Pro members. So until next time, Jim, um, thanks again.
1: Thanks very much, John. I enjoyed it.
0: This audio profile has been a production of Deep Breath In, LLC, and is intended for Indoor Cycle Instructor Pro members only. I truly hope you've enjoyed this profile, and remember that you can download the printed version from the post for this audio profile. Now, if you have any comments or suggestions for this or a future audio profile, please email me, john at indoorcycleinstructor.com. Now with a firm foundation in place, get out there and teach a great class.